Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Today my guest is Derek Strauss. Derek hails from South Africa, but lives in the United States in the Dallas area. He has been a supporter of many charitable and philanthropic activities, and I have admired what he and his wife have done to help so many people in South Africa, in the United States, and who knows where else I mean, he's been a person who's, I, I keep hearing, he, he doesn't know it, but I keep hearing his name. Oh, he helped this person here, he's helped that person there. But today, we want to talk about his work with the homeless, which I was not really even aware of until yesterday. But he's been doing quite a bit of work with the homeless in the Dallas area. So first of all, I'd like to welcome you to The Cubic Report. Well, thanks very much, Victor. It's great to have an opportunity to discuss this with you. Well, it's just good to hear your voice, and I like to hear the way you sound. It makes me <laughs> miss my friends in South Africa. <laughs> well, they don't understand me. They think I've uh, got an American accent now. So, you know, it's, uh, wherever I go, I'm foreign. Well, this is the same as true, but we have an Australian who's lived here for many years. He always sounds Australian to me, but going back there, they say he's turned into an American. <laughs> yeah, it's very catchy, the American accent. <laughs> well, t today we, we will be talking about his work with, with the homeless. I think that we're somewhat all familiar. We've heard the word homeless, and we have pictured in our minds people sleeping on the streets, uh, people in very, very poor shape especially sad to see women who are just by themselves, and yet some of them are really tough as nails, you know. Yeah. But we'll talk about, about his work uh, with the homeless. So, Derek, since I know so little, and I've had a little bit of experience and don't want in any way interject the fact that I know any much about the subject, but tell us what you have done, and we want to have some insights in, into working with the homeless. Great. Well, yes. Uh, you know, the homelessness is such a big topic, but in a nutshell, I think a lot of people have many misconceptions about who the homeless people are and how to actually solve the problem. And is the problem even solvable? Uh, so one of the things that, that I've discovered over the last uh, probably five or six years that I've really started getting into this area is that there are some new ways of addressing the problem, new ways of solving the problem using technology, using uh, mobile phones, using uh, uh, essentially applications that are very similar to Uber, you know, in terms of being able to connect people because that's part of the biggest problem is finding the homeless person, locating the person. Uh, after you've made your initial assessment with that, that individual. The other big problem that people have been having is get, getting real-time updates as to who is serving that particular person. So if homeless Derek is out there walking the streets and he meets up with a number of different organizations during his travels, all of them in all good intentions trying to help him, Things get jumbled up very quickly because there's no central database on which all of these organizations are working. And it's not being, nothing is being updated in real time. Uh, there's various organizations that have tried to create central hub type databases, but they are done in batch mode that night or the, over the next couple of days. And that's not reality. The reality is that things are happening fast-paced in a homeless person's life, 
And it really needs to be real time. And it needs to be commonly available to all of the people that are trying desperately to help the homeless person. Now, one thing you mentioned, you know, about homeless Derek. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned it <laughs> yourself as a name. And how does one become a homeless Derek? I mean, there are many, many uh, different kinds of homeless. Right now, I, actually, one thing I am working with big time with homeless are refugees from Ukraine. Yes. You know, they are homeless, but that hopefully is a temporary state. Mm. Most of them want to go back and judging by how the war will turn out, <clears throat> what they have to return to. You know, we're, we're working with them because they are in shelters. Yes. You know, they are in shelters in in Ukraine. I actually work with homeless in Ukraine, not so much uh, leaving the country. But you mentioned uh, a homeless Derek. Who is this person and who is this woman uh, who is on the streets? Is it someone who has absolutely no family, somebody who is kind of given up on life? And I've even heard that there are some people that want to, if I can put it that way, mm. stay in that state. Yes, and, and there, you're quite right. There are so many different categories of homeless people. You can't really paint them all with the same, same brush. Um, some people, you know, th due to some kind of life event, have been so broken by that that they've just given up on everything and they just want to withdraw from society and they want to stay homeless. They don't, they're not interested in, in changing into a homeless, oh, a homed state. Uh, they want to stay homeless. Um, but that's actually a smaller percentage than most people think. Mm -hmm. What we've encountered, you know, in the streets is at least 60% or more of the people out there do want to get off the streets. Um, especially the women, of course, because it's dangerous out there for women. I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that people also tend to, people looking from the outside at the homeless community, tend to think of them all as, well, they're all addicts and they're all beyond help. And, you know, all we can really do is, you know, give money to some charities who will go out and feed them, uh, you know, keep them alive, you know, type of thing. And that's also really not the right way to think about it. What, what we're really finding is that, you know, the, the homeless community, uh, firstly, a lot of them want to get off the streets. Secondly, a lot of them are very intelligent. Um, a lot of them are actually very religious as well, which I had no idea about. In fact, if I can just relate, you know, one of the things that we've done uh, over the years is we've worked with uh, an organization in Dallas-Fort Worth that has got a great model of working with the homeless people, where they really build a relationship with the homeless community, with individuals in the homeless community on a consistent mm -hmm. basis, and really get to know their needs and listen to, to them talk and telling us their stories. Um, Doing that, um, one of the things that that, uh, that they do on a regular basis is they take a bus out into the homeless areas, and uh, the one half of the bus is set up as a, like a prayer room. The the homeless people form a long line outside there, and they come up one at a time into the prayer room, and you can they get maybe a hygiene pack and maybe they get some uh, some warm clothes in winter will be there as well but then we ask them you know is there anything you'd like to pray about more than 90 percent of the homeless people say yes i would like a prayer and then we say well what do you want to pray about and very often they will say 
I want to get back together with my family. Um, and I, so they have a family. They have a family. And they're just desperately trying to figure out how, what's, what are all the steps they need to take to become a responsible part of that family in the future. And how can they get cleaned up and how can they get to them, get messages to those people. There's a yearning, a longing to, to be part of their family again and to change their circumstances. I was amazed at how many of them have a prayer in their hearts that they want someone to pray with them about. It, it really struck me. And, you know, the, the first time I went out, my wife and I came back and we were we were teared up, you know, uh, for we had the, the people's faces in our in our brains for weeks afterwards, thinking about them and praying for them. Uh, but, you know, it's that side of the homeless people that generally speaking, I think pub the public that's never been involved in doing a personal outreach where you're spending a couple of hours walking and talking with homeless people and hearing their stories, you never get that understanding. Well, then one thing could certainly be important in this process is that you have somebody that you can talk to on a consistent, regular basis, right? Yes, yes. And, and you, you build that relationship with them and you, you have trust. You know, one of the things we always say is, you know, God gave you two ears and one mouth. <laughs> so go and listen. Don't, don't talk you, you, and don't try and solve their problems. Let them just offload. Let them talk. You get to know them and then pray with them. It's amazing how that builds a really wonderful rapport. And then you go back the next week and you see them again. And pretty soon you've got a great rapport going on. And they're encouraged. And I want to tell you, <laughs> you're encouraged as well. Uh, it, it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity to, to have those, those uh, interactions with them. Well, I could imagine having somebody that you talk to, I guess, being in the pastoral ministry as I have, that's been our job is work, working with people yes. and talking to them and basically building relationships with them yes. <clears throat> so that the relationship is built and then when something serious comes along, a relationship is already there. That's right. They're, they're there for you. And I, I suppose that with helping with the homeless people, you build that bond hoping that it might pop into something that will be a betterment of their life. Yes, absolutely. And, and also being there when that happens, very often they'll come and, and tell you, hey, you know that thing we prayed about, you know, six weeks ago? Yeah, it happened. And then guess what we do? We pray again. And this time the prayer is giving thanks to God for hearing the prayers. Well, that's one, it's so wonderful to hear about how you are instilling dignity in these people because they're not just numbers. They're not just bodies walking out there. They have a lot of thoughts and a lot of feelings. Like you say, they even have a relationship with God of one sort or another. Maybe it's an angry one. Uh, I know one movie that, uh, the movie, The Same Kind of Difference as Me. That's so good. Same Kind of Difference yes. as Me. That it's movie. Brilliant. The movie, that Same Kind of Difference as Me has really moved me because yeah. it, it's about a soup kitchen actually, but it's yes. dealing with homeless. Yes. And it really struck me about the various relationships that are among that community. Yes, I agree. And, and it's so important, as you said, to see these people as individuals with a heart, you know. And one of the organizations we work with really talks about that. It's all about restoring people's hearts, you know. 
Uh, these are these are broken people. Their hearts have been broken many in many ways. And essentially, what we're doing is reaching out to them as human beings and touching them. You know, literally putting our hands on them and praying with them about the things that they are facing. And it's amazing how that changes things. But certainly, having that relationship is important and the things that you and your wife and others with you are doing. But as we talked before, that uh, there's a little bit of disjointedness in how the people work together or the people serve these people. Yes. And also we're finding out that uh, high tech really has even come down to the homeless, that so many of them have cell phones. And yes. In fact, I find out that all around the world, I mean, you be in the poorest village, but they do they have their they do have their phone. That's I was right. at a very poor rural wedding in in Brazil, and here we are sitting there, and everybody's pulling out their phone to video the, the wedding. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and and it's very much the same. We found that at least 70 percent of uh, homeless individuals have a phone. And though the thirty percent that doesn't, a lot of them are veterans, and they can get a phone. Uh, and the very small percentage who don't even have that access, they can go to a public library and get onto a computer in mm -hmm. the public library. And so if, if it comes down to writing an app which can help to serve as a hub for all of the data and information that's being collected about homeless Derek, if the technology is there. All that we have to do is to put together that hub and to write it in such a way that it's updated real time. So if I'm a social worker and I encountered homeless Derek, I can pull up my mobile phone, hop onto the app and start interviewing Derek and assessing Derek's needs and building a journey map for Derek in terms of the ultimate goal is I want to be reunited with my family. But before that, I need my birth certificate, then I need a driver's license, then I need a new set of clothes, then I need to be coached in how to get a job then I need to start saving some money, then I need blah, blah, blah. You know, there's maybe about 20 steps before I can actually get to be reunited with my family. And, uh, you know, if, if, if the app can be right there collecting all that information and then connecting that person, Homeless Derek, with all the different service organizations that are going to help him along that journey and that they then have access to the same database, they can immediately pick up from the work queue, oh, I've got to interface with Derek, but I need to interface with him after that other organization has interfaced with him because there's a sequence along this journey. I mean, this is, it's not like rocket science. It's just real simple stuff that no one's done. <laughs> one, one, thing, one thing that strikes me, though, is that they have names, they have some, some kind of an address, don't they? Yeah. Very often they will have the, the, some. Maybe a P.O. box or they go get their mail someplace. Yes. They, they have documentation, a social security number. Yes. I, I mean, they're like citizens like everybody else. A lot of that gets lost because of their homelessness and because they're, they're sometimes migrant. They, they'll, uh, you know, this one area that we've worked in, uh, we've noticed how people tend to kind of revolve around a particular area. They've, they've got a, a, an area that they, that they migrate within. Um, and as they do that, uh, they lose stuff along the way or stuff gets stolen. You know, gangs unfortunately prey on the homeless people. And sometimes homeless people prey on each other as well. Let's, 
you know, but that's a smaller percentage. So they're constantly in a situation where they say, oh man, I've just, I've lost my driver's license or I've lost my birth certificate, you know, and now they've got to go and get one. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so they've got to find an orga- a service organization that'll help them to do that. But those are very often the first steps. I mean, you can't get a job unless you can be identified through a driver's license or a birth certificate. You can't just say, hey, I'm, I'm Derek. And they say, well, where's your driver's license? Uh, so th- there's a sequence, a logical sequence that they've got to go through. You know, one of the things I've been fortunate to experience in my working career is I've always worked in the area of data and analytics. And I had an opportunity, although I've had my consulting company for most of the, my working career, um, I, I had an opportunity to go full time as the chief data officer in TD Ameritrade for about five years. And I, whilst there, one of the people on my team was uh, a data architect. And we would have conversations about homelessness. And he was a very passionate Christian pastor uh, in his spare time. You know, his full-time work was, well, actually the way he used to say it, my full-time work is I'm a pastor, but in my spare time I work for you, Derek, in this, at TD Ameritrade. Um, so, uh, but he, he said the problem with, you know, getting a solution for homelessness is, uh, is a data and analytics problem. He, he wrote an, an initial app, and then we started collaborating a little bit further on it, and we've taken it a couple of steps beyond that, and uh, we're both very passionate about trying to take it to the next level because we see this as a problem area that needs to be addressed all over the world. I mean, I've spoken at conferences and things in, in Europe, and people come running up to me afterwards and say, we need this here in Italy, or we need this here in wherever. You know, and uh, it's, it's ubiquitous. Everyone has this problem. Everyone's struggling to sort it out. And it's totally uncoordinated. And it's because there's no integrated hub database in real time that people are using. But you have already... We talked about this earlier. Developed a prototype of some sort yes. where you've developed how this app would collect this information, how it would find certain things and put things together. I know that the word app is one that is being used a lot. You know, in yes. fact, we were doing some work with our uh, website and all that, and the developer they're working with. Do you want an app or do you want a website? You know? Yes. But anyway, yes. that's uh, that's neither here nor there. But with an app. Uh, what would this app do? It just kind of give us a little bit of the stream of things. Having the app, using it, promoting it, selling it to others, mm. and probably importantly, the cost of the app. Yes, that's a very important uh, discussion. And, and uh, as you laid it out there, there are a lot of different facets to it. I'll try and put it in a nutshell. If you think about the, the, the app itself, there are essentially three or four groups of individuals that are going to use this app. The one is the homeless person themselves. They should be able to hop onto it and self-assess what their needs are. And it should go immediately into a work queue so that the organizations that serve that area that that person is in can immediately see, ah, homeless Derek needs this, 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 and this. We can do this piece of it, but some other organizations are going to have to pick up those other pieces of the puzzle. And, and Homeless Derek should be able to look at that and see, oh, okay, that organization's picked up that piece. That's great. And there's their, their contact details. 
Excellent. Now, the next thing the homeless Derek should be able to do is just like in Uber, he should say, I want to meet up with the social worker from that company and I want to make myself findable, locatable. Just like I need a car, an Uber car to find me. So I make myself visible to Uber for the purpose of creating that connection. Because it turns out, in reality out there, the uh, social workers spend 80% of their time, get this, 80% of their time trying to find the homeless person. It's a big issue. So if, if just one of the key things that the app does is help to locate people and to bring the two parties together, that's a huge saving. It's a huge step in the right direction. Now people can spend at least 80% or more of their time actually serving the homeless person as opposed to trying to find him or her. That's the one group of individuals that uses the app is the, uh, the homeless people themselves. The other group that uses the app is, is the, the service organizations, those who are looking at the work queue and trying to figure out how, where the homeless person is and uh, to go and find them and deliver the service to them and to follow up with them afterwards. Because, you know, for example, if you, if you want to help someone with uh, you know, getting some kind of identification document, you have your first meeting with them, you capture all the information, and then you have to follow up with them because it takes time for things to, you know, the wheels to turn and people to generate the documentation for them. So you want to close the loop with them afterwards. So those are the kinds of things that the service organizations do. And then another group are the outreach organizations. Now, who are they? The outreach organizations are the churches, usually. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that are going out, building the relationships. And they're very often the first people that will get the information about the assessment of what this homeless person needs. And then they'll help the homeless person to download the app, get it on their phone, and start interacting with them that way. And then the fourth group is the general public. There are many people in the general public who would love to help. And they want to uh, be able to just say, hey, I was driving along this highway and where it crosses over with this other road, I saw there was a homeless encampment on the side that just popped up there in the last couple of days. I want to tell someone about that. So they should be able to pull over and uh, drop a pin into their GPS at that point in time and say, okay, I've spotted someone there. Looks like two or three tents. I think there are about five people there. And pop that into the app so that, again, the now the outreach organizations, the churches, can go out there and say, hey, this is a new encampment. We want to meet you guys. You're in our area. Is there anything we can help you with? Well, are they always anxious to have to be found? Do some of them want to be lost and anonymous? Those that want to stay anonymous will make sure that they're anonymous and they, will, they won't be visible from the highway. They'll be tucked away in some kind of woodland area somewhere and uh, they'll only show their face when they actually need something from the outside world. But those, generally speaking, uh, you know, when we were piloting it, talking about being identified, one of the key things from an outreach organization, the, the, the frame into the app basically says, you know, what's, what's your name? Oh, my name's Homeless Derek. Now, sometimes Homeless Derek won't want to give his name Derek. Mm -hmm. So he'll say, my name's Superman. Mm -hmm. So, okay, cool. That's Superman. That's fine. 
But then we'd say, well, do you mind if we uh, take a photo of you? And they'll say, sure, take a photo of me. And then they'll stand like Superman, you see, and you take a photo. And so you've always got some way of identifying them. Uh, most people will give you their names, the first names and, and last name, no problem. So, I mean, you, you can, the people that really want to remain anonymous will, will be anonymous. You know, it's just like with, again, with, with Uber, most people have used Uber. You can certainly enter your information into the app if you want to, but you also can be completely anonymous. Once your trip is over, the record of that trip is gone. Your, your attachment to it is gone. So you're not, you're not findable, you're not locatable unless you want to be located. And that's, again, the beauty of the app is it's not like Big Brother's now watching you because you're connected to the app. You, you can turn it off and then you're in, you can't be found. But it's when you do want to be found that you've got the ability to be found. Well, this is just a very, very enlightening to me. Uh, when I was growing up in high school, and we had one of our teachers from medical school, you know, was talking about cadavers that they had at the medical school. And he always said that they picked them up at Seven Corners. That was kind of a spot in mm. the middle of town where a lot of homeless people gathered. Hmm. And they would find somebody who just was not identifiable. Mm. And so our thoughts were that there are a lot of faceless people kind of walking around. And I just wow. wonder if over the years the government or you know, data collection has been more specific in giving identification to people. That's a, a sticky area because there's so much around privacy and people's all that you can really do if you're an organization, whether you're not-for-profit or government or, or private uh, uh, commercial, uh, commercial uh, enterprise, is, is pretty much say to people that what you're going to do with their data. You know, we are going to collect data from you, but we're going to do X, Y, and Z with your data. And if you're not happy with that, then then that's fine. And you just tell us up front and we'll make sure that we don't capture that information on you uh, or we'll anonymize it in, in whatever way that we need to. So you, you put the ball back in the individual's court in terms of what you can or can't do with their data. Let's get back to the app a little bit. I've been fascinated ever since I first heard about it yesterday. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> I heard about it, you know, of being able to um, systematize and electronically be able to serve these people. I mean, right. there's some things I've really learned here today about their prayer life and about their, yeah. not so much their prayer life, but the fact that they have the same needs and they have the same wants mm -hmm. a, 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 as we do, but perhaps in a way that's been damaged mm -hmm. or, or in a way that's become dysfunctional. Right. We want to help these people who are not living in a functional way to grasp that way. Yes. Uh, Tell me more about the app if you can, and maybe tell our audience what you would like. I know that it's a, or it's a big project. Tell us about how far you've gone, what you would like to accomplish, and the kind of help you need. Well, the, the app is, uh, is very much a beta you know, version at this point in time, and it needs to be completely rewritten uh, so that it can handle like a big metropolitan area like Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, it, it's... Uh, it's fine for a pilot project, uh, and it's it's pretty amazing uh, what what we've been able to show in some of the pilots that we've done. 
but it does need it does need funding really trying to figure out that whole funding thing the whole funding model also just the commercial model around it you know who should pay for it you know the ideally well you don't want to the homeless person doesn't want to pay for it right but you they they want to get it for free on their mobile phones so who should pay for it well it really does come down to the service organizations because they it's in their interests to be a part of this to collaborate on this because it's a hub and they can get much better information by participating in the hub than if they were not so ideally you want some kind of subscription based thing where depending on how many individuals in a particular organization are using the app there's an annual subscription have we worked out the pricing model no <laughs> we have no idea how to do that and that's where we stuck a little bit we're trying to figure that out ideally with uh, you know if we if we got the churches involved and stuff like that maybe it's one dollar per year per person who's got got it on the app you know some low uh, amount that would be put in there so it's still it's still area that we have to resolve and come up with a much better economic model as to how it would work but we've got very clear ideas in what we want to do with the app and how we want to enhance it and as i say we've we've piloted all of the different areas so we've got a, a very clear vision of what we want to do so you already have that that's that's great so you could make a presentation to some venture capitalists yes, <laughs> you yes. know to say you know you, you want to help out you don't just walk into a community and just say i want to help you here's something that i can do i mean there are people that have developed all kinds of apps like you version for bible I mean, some right. of them are quite sophisticated that right. uh, do various things so if we had one just for the homeless which are everywhere in fact i heard a figure for dallas he said it was just very under counted that way but there are homeless everywhere orange county california Oh, has, yeah. has a Massive. huge number of people. You, when you think of Orange County, you think of movie stars and you think about mm. uh, yachts and that type of thing, but there are many people on the street, many people in California because the weather's good. Yeah. But I think it would be just absolutely wonderful to make a presentation of some sort uh, to people, and we'll be looking for that. Yes, yes. We've, we've, we've got a presentation that we've canned and is ready to roll, and I've given it to a number of different places. Um, I still haven't been able to figure out how to lock in on any particular opportunity. I've been distracted, frankly, with a lot of other stuff in my life uh, for the last couple of years. So I've kind of let it slip and I really want to get back into it now. I'm hoping that this organization that we're working with in Dallas-Fort Worth, who has this, this bus uh, where I had the opportunity, where my wife and I had the opportunity to go out and experience this for the first time. I'm hoping that they are going to be able to come up with some uh, interesting opportunities to get the funding. But I'm, I'm open to anything. Well, in the notes <laughs> with this podcast, I will have Derek's contact information for you to write to him and get in contact with him with any of your suggestions. Or you can write to, to me to our general address here. But we would like to hear from anybody who, and if you'd like to pass this podcast down to somebody who could help, please do so. That'd be fantastic. Thank you, Victor. I really would appreciate that. And uh, yeah, as I say, we're completely open to any suggestions. We just feel passionate about this. We feel like this is, uh, this is something that's desperately needed. We feel like we've got We've got a pretty good solution. 
Well, I I really I see it kind of coming together out of the fog. Here's, <laughs> here's a figure that's coming there. Yeah. Derek, you were mentioning about how you were passionate about this, and this is the last thing I was going to ask. What drives you to do this? You've you've given me a few passages biblically that have motivated you. Could you share some of those? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think some of the key things are in, in Galatians 6, uh, where it talks about you know, let's not be weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, and I think so many people have given up on the homeless, you know, and the homeless feel that. They feel like the world has given up on them. But the, the passage goes on to say, therefore, as we have opportunity, and, and this is the important point here, the phrase goes, let us do good to all people. Let us do good to all people. It says, it goes on to say, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. But, you know, a lot of people kind of just look at that last phase and, well, okay, that means we've only got to do it to the family of believers. But that's not what it says. It says, let us do good to all people, especially, it singles out, out of all people. It says, yes, let's, let's focus our attention as well on the family of believers. But that doesn't mean we exclude the rest of the people. It's the whole pie. We're talking about all people here. So that's the, that's the one thing that really, when I read it and reread it and reread it, I thought, that's what we should be doing. As well, in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking to his disciples and to the people, and he's saying that, you know, uh, the, the king, he's talking about the parable when the king comes back and the sheep and the goats, and, and he's saying those that were helping the least of these with shelter with food with etc clothing you are doing it to me i think that's a pretty clear indication that that we really need to be doing outreach we it's it's very important that internally within the church we are doing an inreach if you like we're 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 making sure that that we're looking after each other but we also have to be doing an outreach the, to me it's clear well, i have found you know i've been doing this type of thing for 23 years now. Yes. And I have found when you reach out, you have more to reach in. That's exactly. <laughs> if you just are taking care of your own and very narrowly focused, you'll wither. You know, we've seen organizations, not our church, but one church that said, we want this aid to go to this little church in this community in Ukraine and just, you know, mm. this person and so forth, they die. Mm. But when there's a container going for to help others or to help help those people but then ask those people to share with others there's kind of a momentum that builds up and we found that we've done boreholes you know with with water we always require that they make the borehole available to the community because that that's good that's helpful it builds good feelings good relationships yes absolutely yeah and and i mean there's there's so much that people that are involved in volunteering and helping and doing this type of thing these outreaches the effect it has on them is enormous. I, I can say that during the time that we've been involved in this type of thing, it has changed us completely. We've understood a lot more about being compassionate and, and how you need to be compassionate. We've understood a lot more that every person has a story and that you need to listen to that story and not judge people just on face value, listen to their story, understand where they're coming from, meet them where they are. It's a whole different way of, of loving people and building relationships that I had no idea about, frankly, before we started doing this. 
and it's been enormously enriching to us. My wish is that more people would experience what I've had the opportunity to experience. Well, when we found people started doing these types of things, and I, th I would say that most of them say they've been enriched. Yes. They, they, they have really been blessed. There's a joy in the giving. It's not a matter of bragging or boasting about no. what they did. Not at all. Pe people sometimes accuse those yes. people of that, but that's not it at all. No. It's about knowing that you have given another human life a chance, a meal, a, some joy that they have not had. Absolutely. And, and I think really it does come down to giving others an opportunity to experience some of the hope that you've got inside you as well. So it's just, it's just been an amazing experience and one that I'm so thankful that we've had the opportunity to do. Well, I've been talking here to Derek Strauss and it's been a wonderful conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. Uh, Derek, is there anything else you'd like to say here? You know, uh, I think probably the only other thing that I'd like to mention is something that my, my friend in, in uh, New Jersey said to me early on when we were starting to talk about this. And he said, you know, uh, what he's found when he's made contact with various churches or, or groups that were trying to, to generate some kind of revival in their community, some kind of stirring up people to, to go and do things, that when they get involved in this type of thing, it creates that enthusiasm. It creates that revival, that, that almost recapturing of an excitement. Because you've got a common goal that you're working towards and you're learning more about how to use the resources that you've been blessed with to touch other people's lives. And that that creates a, a unifying kind of uh, force and drive and really creates, gives people something that is meaningful for them to participate in. So he said, you know, he was quite frank. He said, look, I, I've seen so many churches benefit from getting involved in this type of thing that it's, it's a definite pattern. And so if you think about, yes, you, you're giving your time because it is it is a lot of time that you put into these types of things. It's not just a couple of hours here and there. It, you really start getting involved, and it's tiring. At the end of the end of a day of spending out there in one of these buses, you're exhausted. You get home, you are finished. But it is so rewarding, as as we were discussing earlier, uh, and it it does generate an excitement and a feeling that your that your life is meaningful because it's involved with something that is meaningful and is making a difference. Even if it's one person at a time, it's making a difference. Derek, it's been wonderful talking to you this afternoon. It's been wonderful. Thank you for this knowledge, and I'm sure that our audience will greatly benefit and will want to contact you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Victor. Really appreciate it. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, as well as many other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report. We'd love to hear from you. 
We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions for this podcast. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com, v-k-u-b-i-k at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.